0: So good morning to each one. I greet you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Here we are, October 1st already. Where has the summer went? Fall is upon us. The message this morning, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to continue our study there this morning. This morning, we'll be looking at verses 16 through the end of the chapter, through verse 30. This morning, I want to look at the message in two parts. I want to begin with verses 16 to 27, and then finish up with verses 28 to 30. I titled the message this morning, Come unto me and rest. Read Matthew 11, starting in verse 16. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets, and calling unto their fellows, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sidon, it would have remained until this day, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sid, excuse me, of Sodom, in the day of judgment, than for thee. At that time, Jesus answered and said, "I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemeth good in thy sight. And all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son." But the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. For he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So here Jesus addresses the people. These people have been listening. Not only did they listen, but they were also responding to his message. The previous verses in this chapter... Jesus talked a lot about John the Baptist, and then in verse 16 he says, what can we compare this generation, what can I compare this generation, to what can I compare these people? It says they are like children sitting in a market. They're sitting in these marketplaces and they're calling out to others. It says, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. Says, we have mourned, we have sung mournfully, and uttered cries as over the dead, and ye have not lamented. You were not moved to weeping and to show sympathy. You did not mourn or cry. You did not show emotion. With this somali, Jesus shows the Jews how unconcerned they acted toward John the Baptist. And are now acting the same way toward him. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. John came withholding certain comforts. He withheld himself from certain comforts of life. John fasted and lived out in the wilderness. He didn't involve himself in some of the comforts of life. And the people said, He has a demon. Then in verse 19, we see the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Or in other words, Jesus partook of the creature comforts of life. And they say, Behold a man, gluttonous and a wine bearer, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified over children. Here in almost a parable, Jesus describes a comparison of the people and their response to his ministry and that of John the Baptist. He compares them with children, bratty children who can't be pleased, children who will criticize no matter what. They said, we played a happy song and you didn't dance. We played a dirge, which is a sad, mournful song, and you didn't cry. These people had become critical and unhappy. And for the sake of being critical, they criticized. They were critical of John because he didn't partake in the comforts of life. And then they turn around and criticized Jesus because he did partake of the comforts of life. They didn't want to be satisfied with either of these two men. They love to be critical and to criticize. Let's be careful not to be critical. Don't be a critical person. There is a difference between being critical, and critical thinking. Critical thinking is something I believe we can grow in. So what is critical thinking? Critical thinking is the ability to weigh the evidence, look at the information that is in front of you, and come up with a practical and reasonable solution. To be a critical thinker is not to be a critical person. A critical thinker can evaluate what you, are, what you are facing. To be a critical person in attitude means to just flat out be negative towards life or about things in life. Jesus reminds us in the last part of verse 19 that wisdom is proved right by her actions. King James says, is justified. It means that the offspring of wisdom will be seen. It will be recognized. I believe what Jesus is saying here, it's not what you say that makes you wise or makes you right. It's what you do. It's how you live and the fruit of how you live. When I'm critical of something, I throw up this defense mechanism, and I may be critical of people or circumstances, or maybe something someone had said. When we are critical, it kind of sounds like we are right, or we might be. If I don't like what you're saying, all I must do is just criticize that's what they're doing here with John the Baptist. And that's what they're doing with Jesus. It sounds like they were being righteous. They were critical. And when we are critical, it distances whatever it is that you're saying or doing from me having to accept it. It puts distance between those things. We become critical as a way Of convincing ourselves that it's okay that I don't listen to you. Or it's okay that I don't listen to your message because I'm finding all kinds of faults in you. Jesus said, to what can I compare this generation? This generation refused its capacity. Or to exercise its capacity to hear. They made excuses for rejecting both John and Jesus. They refuse to hear God's voice in either form. Jesus says, by the fruit of our lives. Wisdom is seen by the fruit of our lives and not our words. So to criticize isn't enough to prove that you're right. You can find fault in anything or anyone. But that doesn't prove that you're right. Let it be by how you live. Says, but wisdom is justified by her children. The wise man is proved to be wise by his wise actions. Her children. Jesus had in mind the wisdom to accept both Jesus and John for what they were and what they were called to be. People were also critical of John, but look at what he did. He led thousands of people into repentance. He prepared the way for the Messiah. People criticize Jesus, but look at what He did. He taught and worked in love and died like no one else has. So what has your life produced in the way of good fruit? That is why Jesus tells a, the following story here in verse 20, in the following verses. It says, Then it began... Then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Jesus denounced the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they didn't repent. He then begins to speak of them by name. In verse 21 he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if thou mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus brings up an example of a couple cities that were on the Phoenician coast. If they had heard what you heard, what did they hear? What did the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida hear? What did they see? They saw Jesus. Jesus went into those cities. He walked the streets of those cities. He preached the gospel. And not only that, he showed the power of God through miracles. And he tells them, So you think Tyre and Sidon were bad because they were notorious, notoriously sinful? He says, if they had seen what you saw, they would have repented. Tyre and Sidon were on the coast, and they were considered Phoenician cities. And they are known to be the origin of Baal worship. Jezebel came out of Tyre and Sidon. Jezebel was a Bible character who married one of the Israelite kings and was credited with bringing Baal worship into Israel. So Tyre and Sidon were known to the Jews as a place that they didn't want to go near. Jesus tells Chorazinus they would have repented. And that's why he says what he does in verse 22. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. We know what went on in Sodom. We get the word sodomy from the word Sodom. S- sodomy is sexual perversion and deviancy. It was first heard of in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what God did to those cities. And Jesus said, As bad as those cities were, the day of judgment shall be more tolerable for them than for those of you in the cities of where I walked through and preached the good news of the gospel. And showed the power of God. So, what did the people of these cities see that made them more responsible? They saw God in human flesh, they saw the Word of God made man. He physically walked their streets. And the Bible tells us that they refused to repent. Where you have more light and more revelation, you have a greater responsibility. Luke 12, verse 48, Be for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. There's a biblical spiritual principle that says when you've been given much, much is expected from you. Many years ago, if you owned a Bible, it was considered a privilege that many people didn't have. Today, we have many Bibles. We have easy access to God's Word. You can even get the Bible on your phone, free of charge, and in many different languages. You can read it at any time and anywhere you want When we travel, we see billboards with scripture references on them. It's everywhere. Even in society, the gospel is all around us. So what kind of responsibility do we bear before the Lord as it relates to all that we have been given? Then in verse 25, Jesus turns to those who have responded. He does it in the form of a prayer. He says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight." Jesus was happy that God had chose the unlikely seen by the world as babes to respond to his message of the kingdom. These verses allow us to listen in on a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. What we have here is two members of the triune godhead talking. And we always learn something when God speaks. Things that you and I have no insight on apart from him saying it here. Jesus tells us there are some from whom God hides things. It tells us here that God is hiding these things from the wise and the prudent. He's referring to those in the world who are considered wise and learned. Jesus is not condemning higher education, higher learning, or having a degree of some kind. He is, however, condemning intellectual pride. He is condemning the attitude that comes with learning, that causes us to be puffed up. As the Apostle Paul calls it, puffed up. First Corinthians 8, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What does he mean when he says puffed up? He means inflates. Knowledge inflates. Knowledge inflates a person's ego. It has the potential to be egocentric. Knowledge comes in and wisdom goes out. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Wisdom. Then in verse 27, Jesus reveals why man's pride gets in the way so often of him knowing God. Jesus said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Here Jesus makes a statement that only he is qualified to say. He is saying that apart from me, you will not know God. I'm the only one who has a true relationship with God the Father. If you want to have a relationship with God the Father, you have to do it through me. Knowing God and having a relationship with God is impossible apart from me. Jesus also said that the way to life is narrow and hard. Jesus says, I choose whom I reveal him to. I reveal him to the humble. Those who are like little children. He's talking about those who are likened unto children. When I think about a young child, they don't sit around and act like they know everything until they get a little older. A young child has this innocence And humility in their heart. And humility is key. You must be humble in your learning, in your growing. Don't get prideful. Stay humble. Don't think that I can know God and in all His splendor and majesty by looking heavenward. It's not going to happen. It's only through Jesus. The Son reveals the Unseen Father. And the revelation is one of grace and truth. A few cross-references, you don't need to turn to these. John 1.18 No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 3.35 The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. John 17.2 As thou hast given him power over all flesh, That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So the glorifying of the Son is sought as the means of glorifying the Father. In the giving of eternal life to believers. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. Apart from Jesus, we are lost, and there is no hope for salvation apart from Jesus Christ. We read these scriptures here in Matthew 11, and if our hearts are humble, we are going to be delighted with what they have to say, but if our heart is prideful, we are going to be offended by what they have to say. Now let's look at the last three verses. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There is so much in these last three verses. I want to try to unpack them for us this morning. So first of all, we have the invitation, where he says, come unto me. Jesus extends this invitation, come unto me. Then in the second part, specifies who is invited. It says, all you, or all ye. This specifies who is invited. Now we know who this invitation is directed to. Then we have what I'm going to call the condition. So we have the invitation, we have the invited, specified, and then the condition. It says those who are weary and burdened, and that is the condition of the invited. So the invitation is extended by Jesus to all those who are weary and burdened. Now we know who he's directing this invitation to. Next we have the words, and I will give you rest, which is the promise we see here in this verse. And that that is followed by, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That is what we will call the instruction. Then we have this phrase, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That is the reason given as, as to why you should come to him. And do those things. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Then next we have the result. It says, and you will find rest for your souls. And lastly it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which for us is the benefit of this whole process. So let's look at the invitation. It says, come to me. This invitation is given to people who are going through a time of weariness and difficulty. And it's at that time that Jesus says, come unto me. In this three word phrase, there are two words that we really need to focus on. The words, come and me. First, I want to look at the emphasis on to whom we should come, and that is, to me. Obviously, this refers to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. So how often do we run into other things when we are burdened, when we are struggling, when we are heavy laden, when we are discouraged, when we are frustrated, stressed, or overwhelmed, or whatever the case may be? We can run to a lot of different things. Sometimes we'll run to people. But Jesus says, come to Him. Coming to Jesus is the answer. He is the one who is going to meet your need. He says, come to me. Now I want to look at another aspect. And that is this word, come. This is something we ultimately do as an act of faith. There are many good places that you can come to. You can come to church. You can come to prayer. You can come to hang out. And still not really come to Jesus. People came and listened to Jesus during His earthly ministry. And walked away unchanged. It's not just coming to listen. It's trusting Him. It's putting your life in His hands, your hopes, your desires, your wishes. It's bringing all of that to Him and trusting Him for salvation. I'm coming to you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Jesus says, come to me. The next part of this invitation is Jesus specifies Who is invited? King James says, All ye, or we could say, All you. It's general, and it's an open invitation. There are people that don't come to Jesus because they don't feel that the invitation is for them. They don't see the invitation as, All you. They don't apply it to themselves. The invitation to come to Him is open. He doesn't say, Come to me, all ye who deserve, or come to me, all ye who are good enough. He has extended the invitation to you to come. And you should let nothing stand in the way of coming. None of us deserve his grace, his mercy. Jesus says, Come to me. Now let's look at the condition, which is why we come. We come because we are weary and burdened. Or all ye who are heavy laden. People don't normally come to you and say, I am heavy laden. They may say things like, I'm stressed out or I'm overwhelmed. I can't take it anymore. Jesus says we are to come when we are feeling burdened and heavy laden. The word heavy laden in the Greek means weighed down. Come to me when you're weighed down. When you have this weight on your shoulders that you just can't carry anymore and it's breaking you. Maybe there's something that you're carrying or attempting to carry on your own strength and you just feel weighed down. Jesus says, Come to me. It refers to someone who has grown weary because of hard toil and labor. When Jesus was going around and saying these things, he was speaking to the Jews primarily. They were carrying the burden of religious expectations, rules, and regulations. Jesus told them, If you are burdened by this kind of thing, come to me and I will help you out. I will give you rest. Come to me. Next, I want to look at the promise. The promise is, I will give you rest. This is almost identical to the result, which is you will find rest for your souls. Does everyone know what your soul is? We are made up of three parts. We have a body. That's what we see when we look in the mirror. And we have the spirit, which is breathed into us and made alive when we come to Christ. And that part communicates with God through the Spirit. It gives us understanding and insight into spiritual things. Then each of us has a soul. Our soul is made up of our intellect and our emotions. It is basically the essence of who you are. It's the part that becomes weary. And our bodies get weary too. But Jesus isn't talking about that. When we get weary of work, we can lay down, take a nap, and rest. We can rest our body. But Jesus is talking about a weariness of soul. Jesus says, I will give you rest for your souls. There's something interesting about this idea of rest, of this word rest. Because when Jesus makes a promise like this and says, I will give you rest for your souls... What goes through your mind when you think about the word rest, or resting, or rested? We encounter the word rest early in scriptures. You don't read in Genesis very far until you encounter this word rest. Turn with me to Genesis 2. Genesis 2 verse 2 it says, And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. We often think of rest as taking a nap or something like that. But not, that is not the biblical definition of the word rest is, as it is used here in Genesis And as Jesus is promising, you and I rest for our souls. He is speaking of something completely different. Have you ever thought about why God rested on the seventh day? Was it because He was tired? No. No weariness is suggested in the usage of the the word rest. The reason God rested on the seventh day... Was the work of creation was over, it was done, or we could say it was fulfilled. It was over. It was finished. In creation, God included a fulfillment and contentment that He called rest. And rest, according to the Bible, means to be fulfilled, it means to be content. David is another one who understood. This idea of what it means to rest. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or we could say, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Because God is the one who takes care of me, I can rest in Him. I am resting in Him. I am not working and restless, but I am resting in Him. David found what it meant to rest, or to find that rest in God. God put this idea of rest into his whole creation when he said on the seventh day he rested. It's fulfilled, it's done, it's finished. That rest doesn't exist in the world today. You can seek that rest all your life, and you will never find it in the world Or in the universe that is now created. And that's because of sin. Sin is the essence of restlessness. And to run after things this world has to offer will only increase our restlessness. People get addicted to things because they are restless. They want to be fulfilled. There is something in us. There is a desire in us to be fulfilled, to rest to be completed, to be able to say like David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have no other needs, I am resting in Him. There is something in us that longs for that. But instead of turning to God, what do we do? We go out into the world and do all these things that the world says will bring us happiness, only to find out it doesn't satisfy We are not fulfilled. We desire rest, but there is no fulfillment. Demons desire rest too, but there is none. Jesus told us when a demon comes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Matthew 12, 43, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Sin is the cause, Christ is the cure. There is no satisfaction, there is no fulfillment outside of Christ. Solomon also wrote about this. Solomon was smart. Solomon had a lot of money. He used his smarts and his money to investigate things of the world. His conclusion was it's all vanity. It's chasing after the end. He says you work, you toil, only to leave it to someone else after you die. Sin has eliminated that rest. And the only way to get it back is by coming to Christ. He gives the invitation, come to me, I'll give you rest. So why is it that as a born again Christian, I sometimes struggle? Many times we continue to struggle with things of this world. Also in Hebrews 4, the writer talks about rest. Hebrews 4, 1 says, Therefore, since a the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Let's think about the Israelites briefly. The Israelites came to the edge of the promised land. They send spies out into the land. And remember, God had told him, "This land is yours." The writer of Hebrews said that going into the promised land was entering into the rest of God. If they simply would have went in faith, they would have entered into His rest. So they send in the spies to search out the land. And the spies come back and say, we can't. They say, we can't take this country. There's giants in the land. They say, we can't do it. And they got discouraged. Then none of those from that generation went in because of unbelief. The same is true for you and I. And we can have the same promise that we can enter into His rest. And never go in because of unbelief. Because we really don't trust Him to enable us to go in and do what He said. So when the nation of Israel was getting ready to enter into the rest, Hebrews tells us that going into the land was entering into their rest. But what did they have to do once they got into the land? They still had to fight. They had to go to battle against the people who were there in the land. That doesn't sound like rest, does it? But it was because the battle belongs to the Lord. God told them, I will do it for you. Just go in and do it, and I will take care of it. Rest in me. So, rest isn't this idea of sitting in your lazy boy with your feet propped up, it's walking through the battles of life but knowing that God is able, trusting Him to see you through. He is going to take care of you. He is your shepherd. He is the one who gives you the ability. He is going to enable you to walk into the land and accomplish what He has given you to do in the land. Jesus made a wonderful offer inviting us To take my yoke upon you and learn from me." We must come as disciples to learn, willing to be guided by His yoke, not merely to receive something. He says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus revealed His nature when He described Himself and lowly in heart. It is His servant heart displayed throughout His ministry making Him qualified to be the one who bears our burdens. The yoke is easy and the burden is light because He bears it with us. Born alone, if we try to bear it alone, it will be unbearable. But with Jesus, it can be easy and light. So in closing, it's resting in Him. It's trusting God. He is my shepherd. The victory is His. I now am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. We are entering into His rest. That is what Jesus is promising when He says, Come to me. When you're weary and heavy laden, you have been laboring in your own strength, come to me and I will give you rest. Be still and know that I am God. Am I trusting Him for my contentment? Am I trusting Him for the battles of life? The Apostle Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And when we have godliness and contentment, we enter into rest. Shall we have a song?